0: This episode was first posted February 27th, 2012. Now, I mentioned the directing team, the Wachowski brothers, which they were still known as at the time. Later that year, Lena Wachowski came out as a transgender woman. Lily would do the same in 2016, so they're now known as the Wachowskis. This is Movies for the Blind, episode 202 A Matter of Life and Death, part three of three.
1: My lord, nothing is impossible.
0: Hello, and welcome to Movies for the Blind, where you can enjoy films without looking at a screen. I'm Valerie Hunter. When we think of filmmaking duos these days, we think of Joel and Ethan Cohen, comedies, Farrelly Brothers, or the Wachowski Brothers of Matrix fame. The dominant duo in British film back in the day was Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. Their responsibilities would go back and forth and overlap, so they usually shared credits for writing, directing, and producing under the independent production company, The Archers. Their films include classics like 49th Parallel, Black Narcissus, and The Red Shoes. When they were looking for their June for this film, they got some help from another giant of British cinema, Alfred Hitchcock. He'd worked with Kim Hunter in a few screen tests, but hadn't found anything much for her in his own films. Knowing about The Archer's new project, he thought Hunter might fit, and of course, he was right. June is an American radio operator in World War II England who's fallen in love with a British pilot, Peter Carter, talking on the radio with him before he bailed out of his plane to certain death. But a mistake meant Peter stayed alive to pursue his love for June. After some back-and-forth with the conductor who failed taking Peter to the other world, he's been allowed to appeal for his life. Meanwhile, village doctor Frank Reeves has been working with Peter to diagnose a brain injury that needs surgery right away. But rushing for help in a rainstorm, Frank has crashed his motorcycle and died. Still, the operation is about to begin, and so is the appeal trial. Here's the conclusion of a matter of life and death. Soon after, Peter opens his eyes to a work lamp shining down on him. Doctors and nurses prepare for the surgery. As June watches through a glass door, gauze is trimmed around the top of Peter's head. A gas mask is held above. Peter gazes up, and his eyes start to close, lids slowly closing in over the lamp. When they are closed, everything goes dark. Dark purple and blue patterns splotched like watercolors pass upward. They give way to lighter gray clouds and what seems like the top of a dome, with white stripes separating from the top and going down in black and white. The stripes are shafts of light marking entrances to a massive hall through which thousands of figures walk. They are all races and eras of men and women, mostly in different uniforms. They walk past the conductor, reading the chess book, which he then lowers and holds behind his back as he faces the approaching masses. Among them, walking with a mustachioed man of an earlier time, is Frank.
2: Dr. Reeves? Yes? Permit me to return your book.
0: He accepts it. Oh,
2: So it's you. I will introduce you to Philidor.
0: He turns to the other man.
2: Colleague, this is a special case. Court of appeal. I will undertake to deliver Dr. Reeves. As you wish.
0: He signs a book. Merci. The man puts a hand on Frank's shoulder. Be of good cheer, friend. Then
2: steps away. One of the best men in the service, a compatriot
1: of yours. What's his name? Oh, John. uh, Bunyan, yes, of course. And uh, how is dear Peter? Oh, he has a fighting chance. Uh Uh-huh.
0: They walk on to the presiding woman at her clear counter, with the gallery and Bob.
2: Dr. Frank Reeves? Yes. You are familiar with the case of Squadron Leader Carter? I am. He has chosen you to be his counsel.
1: I hoped he would. Do you accept? I do.
2: You have very little time in which to prepare your case. What facilities do you wish?
1: I should like to see my client and get his instructions. Bob gets his attention. And I subpoena Flying Officer Trubshaw as a witness.
2: Certainly. He smiles. Conductor 71, you will take Dr. Frank Reeves to Squadron Leader Carter.
0: In color, the surgeon begins his work. Watching, June raises her hand to Rubber Temple, then freezes. The doctors and nurses are frozen as well. Behind June, Bob stands at a door. The conductor and Frank are in the operating room. Peter Peter sits up on the table with no signs of incision and looks around. He ducks under the surgeon's arm to stand, then peers at the surgeon and admires a nurse handing him an instrument, then glances down at himself. He follows the conductor away. As Frank looks at the surgery, the conductor leads Peter through the glass door where June stands.
2: Hello,
1: Bob. Watch your Skipper. I didn't expect to see you here. Not yet, anyway. Not up there, either. Frank joins them. (laughs) Well, it was Doc Reeves' idea. I subpoenaed him. Let's talk. Right. You sure they won't miss me? Miss you? You know me, mon ami.
0: They turned at the surgery.
1: That surgeon's very neat. Very neat indeed. I like his work. You're in good hands, Peter. I know. Now, look here. I know what's coming. Yes, I'm very flattered, but are you sure I'm the best man? Quite sure. Aren't you afraid that I may be out of my depth up there? No. Well, doesn't it worry you I'm no lawyer? No. If he gets on the politics, I'm sunk. Who isn't? Come on, Frank, you must have some. Oh, just a little common sense. But if it's as rare up there as it is down here, it'll do me. <laughs> Say yes. Well... He
0: has no choice,
2: anyhow.
1: What are we talking about, then? All right, I need evidence.
0: They stepped to June, still frozen. look at her they do
1: holy really smoke well she she looks like a nice girl she is a nice girl hardly your type skip i've fallen in love with her her accent is foreign but it sounds sweet to me we were born thousands of miles apart but we were made for each other that's an excellent piece of prose Sorry. Nothing to be ashamed of.
0: May I kiss her, just in case, you know?
2: Okay, you may, but she will not know it. Doesn't matter.
0: He gives her a lingering kiss on her cheek.
2: Oh, he's English. What is the good of kissing a girl if she does not feel it?
0: When he pulls away, Peter feels something on his opposite cheek and stares at June. Look. What? The evidence you wanted. A tear. Frank notices a tear frozen below one eye. Oh,
1: I wish I could take one with me.
2: You are counseled. You can do as you wish. I say, why don't we wrap it up and take it with us? Permit
0: me. Taking the rose from his lapel, the conductor collects the tear on one of the pedals.
1: That's it. The only real bit of evidence we have.
2: Quick. We must not keep the court waiting.
0: The rose turns to black and white, still held by the conductor, who now wears more formal dress, makeup, and powdered wig. He admires the rose and the tear as he stands below a low, clear counter, which he sets the rose upon. He and the counter stand on a platform above the throngs who had entered earlier and now sit. Many wear the leather jackets of World War II soldiers. They are among a seemingly infinite number of spectators who surround a huge white floor, a great cliff formation at the back and steps to a shorter platform on which several people sit. Three small groups stand on the floor. The conductor crosses it. Soldiers in turbans sit by those in Western hats. Women in modern military uniform chat among themselves. Legions of nurses do the same. Bob and the woman from reception sit across an aisle from each other chatting. The Americans who'd gotten soda chat too. Bearded men in turbans chat behind Aboriginal men in wide-brimmed hats. 18th-century soldiers stand and sit with rifles. Men from centuries earlier have longer hair and rough clothes, while others have tall hats and white ruffles. A couple French soldiers wait, as do men in longer hair and robes. Bob stares at the receptionist. As he leans toward her to say something, she stands. So does everyone else, as a figure climbs the steps. All the different groups stand figure climbs steps above the few people on the platform to a higher one. Wearing a long white robe and wig, the distinguished man turns to the assembled masses. He sits down. So do those on the platform, and those in the infinite audience. The men in longer hair don tall hats, The judge speaks.
2: The court of appeal sits to consider the case of the Department of Records versus Squadron Leader Peter David Carter of the Royal Air Force. He claims negligence and superior rights and responsibilities arising out of that negligence. He is appealing for remission of the date of his term on earth and for a reconsideration of his case. It has been decided to allow this appeal. It is for the jury to decide whether it shall be successful. Owing to the interest aroused by the case, there is an unusually large audience. We can, of course, seat everyone who wishes to be present, but the front rows have been reserved for those who have a special interest in the case. Members of the jury
0: who sit below the judge
2: do not allow yourselves to be influenced by anything but the facts and by your conscience. You will have every assistance from the court to help you to arrive at your verdict. The counsel for the prosecution will take his place.
0: A small group of soldiers of varying era and region mount the cliff formation. Stepping past them is a tall man in an American revolutionary uniform. Farland frowns nobly in his tri-corner hat.
2: for the defense will take his place.
0: On the first platform beside the rose steps Frank in a modern suit of his time.
2: I call upon the prosecution to open the case.
0: Handing his tri-corner hat to a colleague Farland steps forward.
3: Your honor members of the jury this case has three issues. Peter D. Carter an Englishman should have died on the second day of May, 1945, at ten after four of the clock. British double summer time. Due to an oversight which I hasten to state is contrary to the traditions of a great service...
0: He nods to the presiding woman on the floor.
3: The defendant did not die. Therefore, issue number one, who is responsible? When summoned to report some twenty-odd hours later, the defendant refused to accompany Conductor 71, giving as his reason That in the time which he had borrowed, he had accumulated new responsibilities of an allegedly important and permanent nature. He claimed, in fact, that in these 20 hours, a young lady of good American stock had fallen in love with him. Some
0: pilgrims raise their hands.
3: Therefore, issue number two. Are we to believe this? Furthermore, he states that in these 20 hours which he had borrowed...
1: My lord, I object to the word borrowed which counsel is using so emphatically. To borrow means to get temporary use of something, to use something without being the true owner. My client didn't get. He was given the 20 hours in question. He didn't use something without being the true owner. He was the true owner of his own life.
3: The next points are, is this young Englishman in love with this young lady of good American stock? And even more important this, is she in love with him. Why do you stress their nationalities? Very important, sir. Extremely important. Why? Because we are talking of love, sir.
1: It can happen, you know, between an Englishman and an American girl.
0: In the audience.
3: And, uh, vice versa? Possibly. But what are these love affairs, Dr. Reeves? Men and women, thousands of miles away from home, away from the love they left behind minute sparks instead of scorching flames, fading shabby wigs instead of the rich gold of a woman's hair. The love of the moment, Dr. Reeves. Do I call it love? Once in a thousand times, perhaps. And how many end in lasting marriage? One in 10,000. My case, sir. That, sir, is for you to prove. When in the course of human events, our men and women came to your country as your allies, it was not to become your prisoners.
1: Sir, so may I bring you up to date? We're living in the 20th century, not in the 18th.
3: May I bring you up to date, sir? We are not alive at all. The <sighs> point. And I am up to date, sir. I've been watching you, English, from upstairs, your wars, your politics, your business, from the tax on tea in 1766, to a certain report on England by five members of the United States Senate in 1944.
1: The defendant has nothing to do with tea, nor senators.
3: But other Englishmen had, sir. Is Peter D. Carter what you would call a good Englishman,
0: sir? Yes, sir. A colleague brings Farland a glass in a box.
3: Do you see this glass? Out of it, Benedict Arnold drank the health of King George III. He drops it. Does it break because it is faulty or because it is glass? He accepts a document. Can I tear this piece of paper because it is defective or because it is paper? We are all as God made us, sir, but our ancestors had a deal to do in the shaping us as well.
1: I quite agree. The jury will please note that. Uh, my lord. may I ask where Mr. Farland's grandfather was born?
3: Your honor, the question is irrelevant.
1: Could it have been in England?
3: You need not answer that question, Mr. Farland, but I prefer to answer your honor. My grandfather left England, sir, because he didn't like it, and granddad would have liked it even less today.
0: He accepts a radio. Listen and turns it on.
3: Well, here we are, Lord. The, the voice British of
1: England in, in 1945. Cricket. And here, let me say, the weather is much more like cricket weather now. It stopped raining. Play has been resumed.
0: Bob notices the receptionist listening with interest, but hesitates speaking with her.
1: Max he notices someone else. And settle down to enjoy the game which the people all over. And
0: sits by an English officer who shares a smile.
1: Truly representative of all
3: that's typically English.
0: The conductor disappears.
2: Do you admit that this is an English
3: voice, eh? sir? <laughs> uh, Frank
0: looks up from listening and sighs.
3: Forcing shot
1: off
0: Farland shuts off the radio. The conductor appears by Frank with another.
1: The voice of America in 1945. He
0: turns it on. Shoo, shoo, shoo baby. Farland looks up in alarm.
1: Shoo, shoo, shoo,
0: baby. Bye, 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 baby. Your papa. American black soldiers listen. Sees of the conductor dab their noses with handkerchiefs. Side, baby. Bye, bye. Frank turns to the judge who hides a smile under a finger. Farland stares, perplexed, and shakes his head.
3: I don't understand a word. Nor do I.
1: Frank turns it off. But for England, I'm ready to call John Don, Dryden, Pope, Wordsworth, and Coleridge, Shelley and Keats, Tennyson, Bridges. And Milton and Shakespeare. I concede your point. And you've already called Peter Carter. Is he a poet? He will be if you give him time.
3: We are here to decide, that's it.
1: I can't deny it.
0: Meanwhile, in color, an accordion like device expands and contracts with Peter's oxygen in the operating room. An anesthesiologist watches closely and puts on a stethoscope. He turns to the surgeon, who uses a hand drill. When he stops, He leans back to have sweat mopped from his brow. Also when frozen, June keeps watching and notices the device move faster. Meeting the surgeon's gaze, the anesthesiologist shakes his head, so everyone waits. When he nods, the surgeon continues work.
3: return to the old?
0: In black and white.
3: Should the vibrant humor of a young American girl be stifled in the pages of punch? Should the swift tempo of her life be slowed to the crawl of a match at cricket? Should her accustomed native comfort perforce conform to England's warm drinks, cold rooms, Drafty windows, smoky chimneys, faulty plumbing.
1: Two million houses have no windows at all, and frequently the roof and walls have gone with the windows. My lord, I submit that this court is concerned with the life and death of Peter Carter, not with past history or prison
0: plumbing. Here, here! People turned to Bob.
3: But Peter Carter's character, sir, like every other human being, has been formed by circumstance, by a chain of circumstances. As Benjamin Franklin said, For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the rider was lost. For want of a rider, the message was lost. For want of a message, the kingdom was lost. And all for the want of a horseshoe nail. You've heard of Benjamin Franklin, sir?
1: I beg you, in George Washington's words, labor to keep alive in your breast that little spark of celestial fire called conscience.
3: That could not have been said by an Englishman,
1: sir. What was George Washington? Conscience, Mr. Fallon.
3: Are you insinuating, sir, that something is wrong with my conscience? I am. Your Honor, I protest. I'm only trying to give a full picture of this case to the jury.
1: You are trying to prejudice the jury, sir? I see that they've been selected from many races, creeds, and nationalities. I cannot believe them interested in ancient grudges against Peter Carter's ancestors, nor in prison grumblings about drafty windows.
3: I don't need to prejudice the jury, sir. They're already prejudiced against your country, and with good reason. You can't pick a jury that isn't. Look closely at the distinguished members of the jury, sir.
0: He turns to the low platform.
3: The first member is Jean-Marie Barro. French. Has any century passed without war between England and France? The second member is.
2: Gregorius Johannes
3: Buonsaar, burger von Transvaal. The Boer War, Dr. Reeves. The third member is. Ivan Berdy, Ruski. What? Uh, I'm Russian. The Crimean War, Dr. Reeves. And it. Chanjiming, Peking. Don't forget England's attack on China in 1857, occupying unprotected Peking. And you, sir?
2: Rala from the Punjab.
3: Think of India, Dr. Reeves. Think of India. And you, sir? You are? James Monaghan, Irish.
0: Farland and Frank trade marks.
3: Choose a new jury anywhere, Dr. Reeves. It will always be prejudiced against your country.
1: My lord, I wish to take counsel for the prosecution's advice. I challenge the jury and request that a new one be chosen. Chosen from where,
2: Dr. Reeves?
1: Mr. Farland said from anywhere. Except from England. Why not from England? Where else in the world have the rights of the individual been held so high? In America, sir. Where these rights are held to be inalienable. I doubt if you have more practical freedom in America than in England. An Englishman thinks as he likes in religion and politics. It isn't what a man thinks and
3: says. It's when and where and to whom he thinks and says it. A man with a flint and steel striking sparks over a wet blanket is one thing. But striking them over a tinderbox is another. An American baby sucks in freedom with the milk of the breast at which he hangs. A man can see further, sir, from the top of Boston State House and see more worth seeing than from all the pyramids and turrets and steeples of all the places of the world. No smoke, sir. No fogs. The conductor turns. And a clean sweep from the outer light and the sea beyond to the New Hampshire mountains. Yes, sir. There are great truths, higher than mountains and broader than seas, that people look for from the tops of our hills. America, sir, is the only place where man is full-grown.
0: The modern American soldiers look at their female comrades applauding. Others of different types join them as Bob crosses his arms
1: then i choose a jury of
0: americans some frontiersmen applaud of
1: americans sir selected from every walk of american life if there is one who has fought in the wars of independence i want one who has fought shoulder to shoulder with us against our common enemies in this century if the third has a mind that can only think 170 years back I want the fourth to be thinking 170 years ahead. I cannot deny that I hope, know, that I know that this jury will be prejudiced in favor of my case. For I am pleading for the rights of the individual against the system.
3: But it is also against the law, Dr. Reeves. The eternal law of the universe. Nothing is stronger than the law. The whole universe is built upon it.
1: This is a court of justice, not of law lord, I ask for a new jury of American citizens.
3: Do you agree, Mr. Fallon? I would welcome such a
2: jury, Your Honor. The jury will stand. They do. The jury will retire and the new jury will take their place.
0: The Frenchman turns away and is replaced with a chef. Robert Dupont, American citizen. The Boer warfighter turns and is replaced by a modern U.S. soldier.
2: Lieutenant Pete van der Eich, American citizen.
0: The Russian is replaced with a bus driver. Alexander
2: Barbarinov, American citizen.
0: The older Chinese man is replaced with a modern Asian man in suit and glasses.
2: George Wang, American citizen.
0: The East Indian man is replaced with a black GI.
3: Jefferson Lincoln, brown American citizen.
0: The Irishman is replaced by a police officer.
2: Patrick Aloysius Mahoney, American citizen. The jury will be seated. They said. Counsel for the defense...
1: Here in this rose is my case. And what is my case? I entirely agree with Mr. Fallon. Has Peter Carter fallen in love during the allotted extra... Borrowed, Dr. Reeves. Disputed extra 20 hours he had, or hasn't he? Has someone, the name is unimportant, fallen in love with him? Now, here are two young people who would never have met, but for a mistake higher up, penalized for the most natural and simple thing in the world. They fell in love. Here in this tier are love and truce and friendship. Those qualities and those qualities alone can build a new world today and must build a better one tomorrow. That is my case, and upon it I demand a verdict that Peter Carter shall live.
0: The jury confers, and Mahoney stands.
1: Your Honor,
2: we all feel that the defendant and this young girl should be given a chance to be heard.
1: My lord, nothing is impossible.
0: When the judge stands, so does the rest of the jury and the innumerable spectators. The court will adjourn. From above, the enormity of the courtroom amphitheater is made clear, with a white glow emanating from behind the judge's platform, and dozens and dozens of sections of audience stretching on from the center. It takes shape as the center of a vortex, turning in space. It gets smaller and smaller as attention passes again among the stars. The moving stairway appears, with its statues along the side. This time, it moves downward, with a group of about two dozen standing on it. they face a small white light at the bottom, which becomes the operating room in color. Also in color, the judge, Farland, Frank, the jury, and others ride toward the frozen scene, then stop.
2: There is no reason to deny ourselves the dimension of time not disturb us the jury feels it would help establish a true picture of the conditions very well
0: the scene moves
1: i call squad
0: frank leans toward the conductor
1: fine vascular meningeal adhesions binding the optic nerve to the brain the internal carotid and the chiasm similar adhesions between the chiasm and the brain did i tell you about my operation
3: Dr. Reeves, we are not here to check your diagnosis, but to put certain questions to this young man. Quite right, certainly. I call squadron leader Peter D. Carter.
0: Peter approaches in uniform.
1: Hello, Peter.
3: Hello, Frank. How's the operation going?
1: Fine. Lice is a very good man.
3: He'd better be.
0: He trades thumbs up with Bob.
3: Peter Carter, you are on the witness stand. You are under oath. Do you understand? Yes, Mr. Fallon. You know me, sir? There's no mistaking you.
0: Bob grins. Farland glances
3: at him. Your smile is not unattractive, sir. Did you use it to enamor this young American lady? I love her, sir. Answer the question.
2: Would you repeat the question? It um, had enamored
1: in it.
3: Never mind the exact question. Did you consciously try to influence the emotions of this young American lady? We fell in love before we'd ever met. You claim you love her. I do love her. Can you prove it? Well, give me time, sir. Fifty years will do. But can you prove it? What well, can a starving man prove he's hungry except by eating? Would you die for him? I would. But uh, I'd rather live. Young devil. Your Honor, I apologize for the expression. Your witness. No questions. Conductor 71. Monsieur? Is the young lady available? <laughs> she sleeps. She sleeps? The jury will please note
2: that. I put her to sleep. Indeed, why? To enable you to call her, sir. The jury will please note that. I do call her, Your Honor.
0: June approaches and stands beside Peter.
2: You are before the High Court in the case of Peter Carter. You have been called as a witness by the prosecution. You will tell the truth. This gentleman is counsel for the prosecution.
0: She takes Peter's hand.
2: Child, where were you born?
0: In Boston, sir. Do
3: you know this man? I think so. You think so?
1: I only met him a few days ago.
3: You hardly know him. How can you think you love him?
1: But I do love him.
3: Nonsense, my child.
1: I object. Counsel will withdraw the expression. It's all right, Frank. He's right. There's no sense in love.
3: Wisdom still flowers in Boston. Can you prove that you love him?
1: How can I?
3: Would you be willing to die for him? Yes. Would you take his place in the balance sheet?
1: Yes.
2: Don't believe
3: her. Would you? My lord. Stand aside, sir. You've got no right to a How dare him. you address me like that?
1: Peter, you must be...
3: Well, of all the dirty tricks... This is contempt of court. I'll have you committed. Commit away. Don't answer any more questions. Do you realize that by this attitude, you've forfeited any chance of winning your case? All right, but you won't get June as well. Your Honor, members of the jury. I'm afraid he really does love her. Your witness.
0: She looks at Peter, who looks back.
1: June, you know me well. Do you trust me?
0: Yes, Frank, I trust you.
1: It is absolutely necessary that you take Peter's place in the other world. Have you gone mad? If you really love him, June, step onto this staircase and come with us. You are mad! It is the only way to prove your love.
0: I do love him.
1: You shan't go! My lord, I ask the court to restrain him. Granted. June.
0: As Peter stands frozen, June steps slowly around him. Defense and prosecution watch intently.
3: Take care, Dr. Reeves. In the whole universe, nothing is stronger than the law.
0: She mounts the first step, looking back at Peter, and smiles. Goodbye, darling. Her tears fall, but she remains resolute as the stairway starts to go up. He watches in despair, and she keeps watching him with tears falling. They rise further from the operating room. But the stairway stops.
1: Yes, Mr. Fallon, nothing is stronger than the law in the universe, but on Earth, nothing is stronger than love.
0: June hurries down the stairs to Peter's outstretched arms. They embrace.
2: Members of the jury, as Sir Walter Scott is always saying, in peace, love tunes the shepherd's reed. In war, he mounts the warrior's steed. In halls, in gay attire is seen. In hamlets, dances on the green. Love rules the court, the camp, the grove, and men below and saints above. For love is heaven, and heaven is love. Will you please consider your verdict?
0: The jury confers.
2: Case for the defendant, Your Honor.
0: Bravo! Bob smacks the conductor's back happily. The
2: appeal is granted. There now remains the new date on Squadron Leader Carter's file. Will uh, both counsel approve it?
0: The judge signs a document, then shows it to Frank.
2: Does that satisfy you, Dr. Reeves? Very generous, my lord. Do you agree, Mr.
3: Farley? Isn't that a little too much, Your Honor? Oh. <laughs> I agree.
0: It's handed to the presiding woman.
1: My lord, I hope this will not establish a precedent. I, I have, checked, have checked. Uh, You, sir. You, sir. You mean the rights of the common men? The uncommon men. Exactly. The rights of the uncommon men must always be respected. Exactly.
0: Work continues in the operating room. The anesthesiologist stands and removes his mask, then steps around the table. Another doctor approaches the surgeon as they remove their masks.
2: Congratulations. An interesting case.
0: He looks like the judge without his wig and robes. The gas mask is removed from Peter's face, and gauze is wrapped around his head. Peter! Up the stairway.
2: Don't forget your
0: book. The chess book flies down. A bag is opened, and a coat is pulled out. June spots something in a pocket. It's the book. She pulls it out and looks at it. She turns and smiles in a darkened room. Then she sets the book down at the foot of a hospital bed, where Peter lies, his head bandaged. Frank. His eyes are closed. Frank. June bends down to him with the nurse. Frank. The nurse walks away to some curtains smiling she opens them to a bright english day and stares out peter wakes and finds june gazing down at him he smiles hello so does she hello we won i know she bends down and holds her cheek to his This described version of a matter of life and death was produced for movies for the blind. Characters in order of appearance: Peter Carter, David Niven, June, Kim Hunter, Bob, Robert Coote, an Angel, Kathleen Byron. Chief Recorder: Joan Maud. Conductor: Seventy One. Marius Goring. Doctor Reeves. Roger Livesey. Abraham Farland. Raymond Massey. And that was a matter of life and death. While this film made Kim Hunter pretty well known in England, she's best known in the U.S. for two very different roles, the dominated and adored Stella in A Streetcar Named Desire and the chimpanzee psychologist Zira in the original Planet of the Apes. As for our next film, I don't know quite yet. I do have a couple things in mind from around the same time as this film, but from a whole different place in the world find out where we end up next week. To find out more about the movies, about description, and how to subscribe, go to the blog, moviesfortheblind.com, where you can also find out about this podcast's Creative Commons license. The movies are from the Internet Archive, so please support universal access to human knowledge by visiting and donating at archive.org. Thank you for downloading and for listening. Be back next week. Take care.